Okay, I'm recording. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and this week we're revisiting episode 12, the drone boom. We first examined the growing use of unmanned aerial vehicles a year ago, but we've got a really good reason for bringing it to you again. A few weeks ago, we found out that Engineering Matters has been shortlisted in three categories. Best B2B podcast, best branded podcast and best technology podcast in the first ever Publisher Podcast Awards that recognise the best podcasts in publishing and media. This time next month, we could be award-winning, but the competition is tough and we're up against huge media companies, national and international news agencies and some of the biggest brands in the world. But tell me, Ross, did any of them find out that drones were revolutionising our knowledge of penguin colonies in the Antarctic? No, they did not. And I bet they can't tell us what a whale breathalyzer is either. What's a whale breathalyzer? Well, a bit like the penguin story, it involves drones and the British Antarctic Survey. I got in touch with them to find out if there had been any updates on their penguin counting before we reshared the episode. And there was, but not in the way we expected. I'll tell you all about it at the end of the episode. So now we've got to listen right until the end. And here it is, the episode that got us shortlisted for the best technology podcast, The Drone Boom. Also known as unmanned aerial vehicles, drones were once the prevail of military surveillance teams undertaking reconnaissance missions. But today they can be found in all sorts of places, and the applications for drones in engineering, agriculture, scientific research and other industries is growing as clients such as Highways England, Network Rail, Northumbrian Water and the British Antarctic Survey investigate the pros and cons of implementing drone technology on their networks and in their research. The results have been amazing. But before we get into this, the first thing I wanted to find out is what types of drones are in use today. Quadcopters, hexacopters, fixed wing, what do these things mean? I asked Dave Cummins, director for drone services company Iris Group Aero. Across the sectors, you'll see two main types, um, vertical takeoff and landing, VTOL drones. So generally that's uh, multi-rotor systems. So it could be a single helicopter or four, six, eight uh, blades. Um, or fixed wing, um, there's pluses and minuses for both. Uh, the fixed wing generally will fly further, longer and, and higher um, and generally give you a very stable platform. Whereas the VTOL, the vertical takeoff and landings, generally shorter flight time. In fact, the more props they have will give you less flight time. Um, can be very stable, um, but generally shorter range. Dave isn't just a drone operator. He's a Top Gun pilot who spent the first part of his career in the RAF as a Nimrod pilot and then learned to fly drones with the US Air Force in the Nevada desert in 2006. 
He was among the first people to bring this technology to the UK and today his team undertakes surveys, filming and other drone-based activities all over the world. The founders of the company have thousands of hours of unmanned aerial vehicle flying time and when they started Iris Group in 2012, they saw a gap in the market for professional pilots to bring skills into this growing market. I don't even think we've seen the boom yet. I think we have in terms of the um, the private sector, people buying DJI Phantoms and flying them around. And, you know, the numbers are astonishing. But I think in the US was a prime example. I think we started with two or three fixed wing drones. And before I left, we had every day we were filming a year's worth of video. So it shows you the amount of assets we had in the sky. Uh, I think we're, we're not quite there yet. I think we're starting to see areas such as construction, uh, transport, agriculture, really, really starting to open up. And I think in the next two or three years, you'll see drones everywhere. Initially, Dave says there was a resistance in some sectors to using drones, and this was partly related to the wide variety of expertise in the industry, including untrained operators who set themselves up as survey firms. And probably it would have been a a bunch of cowboy operators in the early days that flew 50,000 images and handed it across and said, build your survey from that. Whereas now a lot of these systems, you know, they're they're almost... um, they're almost idiot proof. You know, you'll you'll fly something like the Dale Air UX11, um, that, which we've got. You'll fly it. Uh, it's got RTK. You'll land. You'll strip the data. It builds the model. So instead of just giving them a picture and they piece it together and put it through something like a Pix4D or some sort of modeling um, platform, this UX11, as an example, and that's one of many, does it for you brings the data down and you're looking at sub one centimeter accurate photogrammetry. So, you know, highly accurate images. Dave says that his work has expanded into a wide array of use cases, such as a 7,000 kilometer highway in Saudi Arabia and surveying date palm crops. In the agriculture, you're talking large sums of area with, with minimal farmers. Uh, it's being able to get above uh, the field. So again, having a, a real bird's eye view, but the, the camera's sensitivity now to, in this case, colour. So you're looking for very small pigment changes in the plant, which will indicate either um, an abundance of water, pesticides, or uh, in some cases, um, some type of mite. So it's, um, it, that's been, I think, for me, a real eye-opening experience. Scientists too are appreciating the benefits of drone surveys. Today, No one really knows how many penguins there are in the Antarctic. But with the help of unmanned aerial vehicles, Norman Ratcliffe of the British Antarctic Survey says this could change. Yes, uh, we've been using drones to censor seabirds, particularly penguins. Um, We found the advantage of drones is over doing direct counts from the ground is that we can get very detailed maps. From these, we can um, tag images so we can count the numbers of birds in each of the colonies, we can understand the colony's size, we can understand the colony's shape, we can make inferences about how birds select habitat based on the environments that the birds are nesting on. So we can get a lot of very detailed information about um, how colonies uh, are situated and how they are changing based on these uh, aerial images. The first mission back in 2014, using an early version of vertical takeoff drones, was not particularly successful. This was on the Falklands. We went to Volunteer Point and we surveyed a Gentoo penguin colony there. Uh, and so, yeah, we used some quite old drone technology. Things weren't as reliable in the past as they were now. And we really struggled to find a weather window. The Falklands is extremely windy and the drone was just getting blown around like a leaf, really, uh, in some of the strong winds you get there. But we did manage to get this one really cool image of uh, an entire Gentoo penguin colony. And uh, we got an 
we got a count of that. So that got published as a paper. But it is notable that in the same time it took us to get that one image, the people who were surveying on foot managed to survey the whole area around there. So in, in some ways you get much better information from drones, but in others the weather windows can be more limited and reliability can be an issue. But that has improved a lot. In fact, reliability of the drone technology is much better now. So, uh, yeah, we're starting to get much better results. But a subsequent study was much more effective. Since then, uh, one of our assistants on Signy Island, which is part of the South Orkneys in maritime Antarctica, managed to complete a survey of the entire uh, Signy Island. So there's large numbers of chinstrap penguin, penguins there. They're distributed over several sub-colonies. So you're probably looking at several tens of thousands of birds distributed over perhaps 30 sub-colonies. And Alex managed to get a count of all those and got some incredibly good images. So with the more reliable technology that we were using and uh, a bit of luck with the weather, we managed to get a much wider area survey. So this moves uh, drone surveys beyond the sort of proof of concept stage and, and start to actually st- get us some very useful data. And uh, in the future, hopefully, we'll be able to extend these out to other islands. In future, this means using fixed wing drones to cover greater areas such as whole islands in one flight, which although don't give such high resolution as these multi-rotor images, they're sufficient for the penguin surveys. Actually counting the penguins is partly automated using a system called ITAG, which Norman explains. Originally, we just we only had a single colony in the first paper that we wrote, and there wasn't that many birds in it. So it's quite simple to just go along and basically use an, an image manipulation program to just put dots on each of the penguins. You can use different colored dots for different types. So you could perhaps have two species. You can mark them in different colors. You could have adults and chicks, which you could mark in different colors. Um, you might have um, birds that are breeding, which are of most interest to us. We tend to do counts of breeding birds, and you may have some off-duty birds as well, so you can mark those in different colours. And then you can ask these packages to just count the number of dots of each colour, and that returns uh, you know, a total for you, and that's, that's basically your census total. But like the drones themselves, the software is also evolving. Uh, but what we're working on now, because that's quite a manual and laborious process, obviously, is that we can use these dotted images as training data and then offer these up to some sort of machine learning approach. So what that does is once you've told uh, the machine learning algorithm, this is a penguin, this is a rock, this is a patch of snow, it can go into other images and search for that pattern and identify penguins within those and then return a new total for you. There is a risk of false identification in this approach. What might happen is that the, the, the machine learning algorithm makes some false positives, so it actually identifies a rock as a penguin, or it might make some false negatives, so it identifies a, a penguin and classifies that as a piece of snow, for example. So that's, that's one of the images. Humans are actually very good at recognising these patterns much better than machines. But as long as you understand what the error rate is, you can include that in the confidence limits around your uh, estimates. So, so uh, this is the way forward. Combining drone data with artificial intelligence, therefore, could massively increase productivity in data processing. This technology is being developed in the Computing Sciences Department at the University of East Anglia. That's a very important aim, is to come up with a complete 
estimates of numbers of, of uh, birds in the Antarctic. So all of the criteria that grade birds according to their risk of extinction, you might, you might have heard of IUCN and BirdLife, who, who actually saw class birds as vulnerable, critical, or least concerned. These are all things that basically say how endangered birds are. They're, they're largely based on the population trends of birds, and then they're a total abundance. So drones give us the opportunity to get much better estimates of abundance. And by repeating those counts through time, they can give us very good ideas of trends. Um, and this gets away from issues of sampling error. So to date, most of the trends come from a very limited number of sites where we have Antarctic stations. And with the abundance estimates, these are often very outdated and they're like a patchwork quilt of counts using different methods that are taken at different times uh, in different years. So there's quite a lot of bias in sort of piecing these bits of information together. And what drones may allow us to do is to get large area snapshots using standard methods, uh, which, which will be much better for looking at abundance and trends in the future. Combining drone data with artificial intelligence is not just the preserve of scientists. Surveyors too are looking to the future. Can machine learning be used to identify cracks in structures, for example? Software firms say yes, they can. But first, clients have to be comfortable with using the massive data sets that are generated or can be generated from drone surveys. And one industry that's making major progress with this is the water sector. Hi, my name's Nicky Mather. I'm a technical support advisor in the new development section of Northumbrian Water. Um, basically, my job is to protect all of Northumbrian Water's assets due to, well, when there's construction um, activities near our assets. And on a recent job, we had a, um, an overflow coming from a manhole to a river wall that we couldn't identify the position of. Um, there was lots of health and safety risks associated to sending men over the, out, over the river wall. Um, and we came up with the idea of using a drone, a very cheap way of, um, of getting some technology over there, very safe way of getting um, exactly what we needed. Um, and it provided perfect results. Assessing the exact location of this pipe was critical, as developers were about to drill piled foundations as part of a new student accommodation project. Surveying the site manually would have required engineers to hire a boat and take to the river, costing a lot more than the £300 the company paid for half day's work in the drone survey. It was also much safer. Um, the information came back on a, from a 4K um, camera positioned on the drone. Um, basically it was just put onto a, a link through the internet, forwarded to, to me from the contractor. I was then able to sit down with the asset owner to re um, review the condition of the, the outfall, the exact position, and basi basically be able to update our GIS records with the actual position of the, the asset. Thanks to this successful use case, Nick is trying to expand the use of drones within Northumbrian water. The utility is training two in-house pilots and has set up a drone user group, the focus of which is to investigate what technologies could be taken up into the air on drones. Thermal imaging cameras, for example, have huge potential. Last year, Anglian Water became the first water company in the UK to use drones to spot changes in soil temperature in order to detect leaks on its 24,000 kilometre network of water mains. Other important data that can be gathered using drones is on particulate levels in the atmosphere. We've integrated a four and a half kilo payload um, of an aerosol counting composition extinction and sizing system. Have you got that? An aerosol counting composition extinction... I can't even say it. An aerosol counting composition extinction and sizing system. 
So this is a state-of-the-art um, manufactured, third-party manufactured sensor system that measures um, the very small particles um, that are present within the um, atmosphere. This is Graham Grover, Business Development Director at WAVE, which makes the fixed-wing long-endurance drones that are being successfully used by British Antarctic Survey. Its 3-metre-long Prime Mark III has a 4-metre wingspan, and right now it can be found busily collecting data in the skies above Greenland. If all goes to plan, this information being gathered by Aarhus University in Denmark could help save the world. I met Graham at the Commercial UAV Show in London in November. We have sold three platforms to um, a Danish university called Aarhus University and um, they are taking those platforms up to a place called Station North in Greenland which is at 82 degrees north. It's one of the most northerly inhabited places on the planet and they have integrated uh, a huge amount of atmospheric monitoring equipment to look for and measure the amount of particulate black carbon in the atmosphere. But how could that combat climate change? The reason that measuring black carbon in the atmosphere is so important is if the tiny specks from black carbon settle out onto the ice sheet, they could change, or they would change, the thermal conductivity of the ice sheet. And if you change the thermal conductivity, the ice sheets will melt quicker. So what the scientists are doing are trying to understand whether the atmospheric black carbon is changing the rate of melting of the Arctic ice sheets. Using the fixed-wing drone is cheaper than the alternative means of data collection, which is using manned aircraft. There are also environmental advantages in using a lot less fuel. In fact, Graham says it uses 10 times less than a family car, as it only uses half a litre of unleaded fuel per hour of operation. Of course, for drones, the holy grail of operational efficiency is battery technology. But 30 minutes seems to be the maximum battery life at the moment, making batteries more suited to the vertical takeoff drones. Extending battery life would increase operational time and effectiveness. Despite this limitation, confidence in drones is growing as business has become more well-known. Oliver Vine is Managing Director of Land Survey Business Atlantic Geomatics and he's PR Committee Chairman of the Survey Association, which represents 180 commercial surveying companies in the UK. He says that huge excitement about drones four or five years ago failed to deliver the boom expected, in part because of the issue Dave mentioned earlier, cowboy companies supplying data that wasn't fit for purpose – but this is changing. Now, when it's very easy to throw throw a drone up in the air and take pictures and, and send it through um, the processing software, but you need to be able to control that information. You need to understand the accuracy of that information where there's perhaps no points. So, you know, making sure things like ground control are installed what sort of verification do you do of the data, what kind of checks were carried out whilst you're processing the data, what sort of system are you using, does it have a built-in GPS and how good is that GPS? And then there's obviously all the other permissions that you need from Civil Aviation Authority and insurances and things as well. So I know some of our, our clients came across issues where non-surveyors have been engaged to go out and do surveys and the data just wasn't fit for purpose. It wasn't 
wasn't accurate when you really start to interrogate and work with it. There was a few dangers that, that made the industry a little bit sceptical at first, but I think starting to turn a corner now that people are, are realising that it's not as straightforward as it may first appear, but also clients of survey companies are starting to know that they need to actually do a bit, maybe a bit more due diligence when procuring UAV surveys. Oliver says that drone data complements data gathered using existing techniques, but it doesn't always have the level of accuracy that ground data gathering has. This is something that was echoed by Skanska at the commercial UAV show. Chief engineering surveyor Mark Lawton talked about the use of drones on the 1.4 million A14 bypass project and explained that more precise data for point clouds was gathered from laser scanning vans, He said drones in the vertical world were sometimes unable to see some of the features that are important at ground level, such as the undersides of bridges. He also urged surveyors to use OSGB36 for their local grids so that the data is compatible with information used by other infrastructures such as utilities and readable by other devices such as mobile phones. Mark said that the work on the bypass showed that the biggest benefits to the company were in what he termed media-grade data gathering – using the multi-rotor type drones to record images and video that's then held in a drone library. Engineers can then access this to pre-plan site activity, examine site conditions, review progress and evidence work carried out. What data gathered by drone can do when combined with other sources of information is provide clients with a much more detailed view of sites or assets. Oliver explains. It's when you can combine the different data sets which you need to obviously make sure you're controlling it properly. You're then getting really powerful, rich, coloured point clouds that you can then interrogate and and really produce some fantastic results from. Like Northumbrian Water, Oliver also says that drones are providing information on inaccessible areas fast, and this can be critical. Now, they needed information on on the landslip quickly because it was impacting on providing water to about 10,000 um, 10, homes. By using and mobilising the drone or the UAV, we could get out there quickly um, and collect spatial information that wasn't down to the millimetre precision, but for the preliminary designs and to get calculate volumes, for example, of the material that had been um, washed away and, and slipped away, it was very quick. But the added benefit, for example, is you get a lot of the aerial imagery so you get up-to-date aerial photography which you can't obviously walk on a landslip or around the landslip area so having that image was really powerful for the for the engineers and designers to actually get a feel and um, some of the resolution of this imagery so each pixel for example on the pictures would represent down to between two and four centimeters on the ground so that's really really powerful to get up close to to see what's going on um with this particular example there was some exposed services from the landslip as well so we could get close-up imagery so that the uh, you know the engineers could see okay well we know there's gas there's electric there's other other services that are being disrupted from this where are they they can position them with with an element of confidence um and then the other benefit as well is for, that we're finding is when you go out to do a traditional survey we the specification might be to pick up levels every five or ten meters or or maybe more depending on the job whereas like i say if you've got accurate and good resolution imagery you can actually extract level information potentially every 
one meter every two meter if you really need it so um you're getting a much broader picture of a of a site data from goldman sachs states that the biggest job opportunities in the drone sector outside of military applications are in construction with job creation worth a massive 11 billion till 2020 although the use cases are growing the consensus among drone users is that the boom for commercial drones is yet to come the UK's biggest asset owners are therefore only just beginning to invest in drone capability. Those that are investing give two main advantages. The first is that using drones is safer. For landslips, work at height, disaster zones, bridges and other hard-to-reach assets, drones can obtain information more quickly and more safely. Another advantage is cost. Where manned aircraft was previously required, unmanned aerial vehicles are much cheaper. At the same time, drone technology is becoming more sophisticated, giving greater precision, and expertise is growing in how to manipulate and use this data through the array of software packages for visualisation and modelling, as well as the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning that's on the horizon. Challenges remain, however, the biggest of these being reliability, with weather affecting flights, and users have also reported that noise and privacy concerns have been an issue. One of the most talked about opportunities for drones is in the logistics industry, with Amazon planning to launch its Prime Air drone delivery system following successful trial deliveries in Cambridgeshire in December 2016. Loads of under £5 were delivered to a selection of homes from a local fulfilment centre. The GPS-guided drones operated autonomously, delivering the packages within 30 minutes of the order being placed. But for this to happen in the UK, we have to allow drones to operate outside the line of sight something which the National Air Traffic Control Service does not yet allow, but has indicated that it will, as apps are developed that allow pilots to either demonstrate the planned flight path or transmit the drone's location. This would also be an important development for Highways England, which has been taking first steps towards implementation of UAVs for incident response and last mile delivery on smart motorways. They too would want to operate drones beyond visual line of sight at up to around 50 kilometres. Conducting trials with the Amy VTOL joint venture, Highways England found that drones can be effective for surveying incidents with a fast response time, reducing manpower and cost, but most importantly reducing people working on the road or railway. For last mile delivery, the drones can deliver up to 20 kilograms of payload and respond to situations that will be dangerous for highways operatives, such as chemical spills. The next step is development of an operational safety case for the Civil Aviation Authority, along with development of appropriate sensor equipment for interoperability with other systems. But until regulations are updated, drones have to be flown within an operator's line of sight. One year on, industry still waiting for new regulations that will enable drones to be flown beyond the line of sight. On the bright side, it is something that the Civil Aviation Authority is currently working on and it has a whole team dedicated to innovation in this area. But that doesn't mean the use of drones isn't continuing to grow. Ross, it's finally time to talk about whale breathalysers. So, since you spoke to Norman last year, the British Antarctic Survey has moved on from penguins to whales. Norman's colleague, Dr. Jen Jackson, says that overhead photography from drones enables them to compare the individual white markings on the heads of southern right whales in South Georgia, with a database of aerial images from carving grounds that researchers in Argentina, Brazil and South Africa have collected over the past 20 years. This means that they can work out where the whales in South Georgia are having their babies. 
and the overhead images can also be used to monitor their condition. This is much harder to do from photos taken from the side of a boat. I still haven't heard the term whale breathalyzer, Ross. Yeah, well, Jen says that another use of drones is to fly them over the top of the blowhole of whales. And they are doing this with the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute to study North Atlantic right whales. The drone holds a petri dish and descends over the blowhole just as the whale exhales. The microbial flora found in the samples tells researchers a lot about the health of the whale. And this is a whale breathalyzer. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne and Ross McPherson. Special thanks to Iris Group, British Antarctic Survey, Northumbrian Water, Anglian Water, Atlantic Geomatics, the Survey Association, Amy Vitol, and Highways England. Mixing and editing by John Young. Theme tune by JM Sounds, with additional music by Pond5. Executive UAV pilot is Rory Harris. If you like this podcast, please leave us a comment or review on your podcast app. It really helps others to hear about us, or simply tell a friend to have a listen. Engineering Matters can be found on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. Follow us on Twitter at Engineer Matters or find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Visit publisherpodcastawards.com to find out more about the awards. Thank you.